we can see uh, in our world today, all the stuff that's going on tells us that uh, people are not viewing God's word as always being relevant. You know, the problem we have with crime, what does the Bible say about murder? Thou shalt not commit murder, right? What does it say about the murderer? What should happen to the murderer? He who takes a life should have his life taken, right? That's the word of God, isn't it? The Bible talks about alternative lifestyles too. What happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? To those people who decided that they didn't want to be what God wanted them to be. They were destroyed. That is the word of God and that is always relevant. And so when we look at the things that's happening in our world today, we need to be mindful that God's word is always relevant. There are people who threw the Bible away. Oh, the Bible is a book of old stories. It don't mean nothing today. It's not practical for today. It's not relevant for today. It's just an old book of stories. It's out of date. Okay, so the lesson today is to remind us that God's word is always what? Relevant. relevant to the times that we are living in. For those of us who depend on the Bible, who trust the Bible, you can pick up the Bible and read it and you look like you're reading the newspaper. Today's newspaper, Guardian or Tribune or whatever. Because we see it as so relevant. What we see in the papers is what the Bible tells us will happen. So the Bible is relevant. Okay, question number one on page 45. What trends or fads were once a big deal in your life? What trends or fads or fashion or style or whatever you want to call it was a big thing in your life at one particular time? Everybody was doing it. And you decided it was a big deal in your life too. What was it? I didn't think it's such a big deal out there. Play it once. Smoking. <laughs> okay. Okay. The mouth. What is the, 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 the commercial? The, what, is, what the man who's, who's always on TV smoking cigarettes? Oh, I forget the name of the guy. But the the guy who's on the horse riding on the horse. Yeah, the guy riding on the horse. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was a big deal. Everybody wanted to smoke. I see this guy every now and then, and every time I see this guy, he's puffing away. I said, boy, you know you're puffing yourself in an early grave? But every time I see him, he's puffing, man, like a chimney. Okay, smoking. What else? There's a big trend or flat. Big deal in your life. I like Martin Dance. Martin Dance, all right, okay. That's the real good old days. <laughs> the Martin Dance, everybody dress up, dress to kill and go to Martin. I don't know nothing about that, but I heard about it. <laughs> okay, what else was a big deal? For me, we used to be Afro. Remember the Afro? Oh, I used to have a lot of hair one time ago. That was a big thing. Okay, but we all remember those days, right? Yes. You may not want to mention it here by, because you may be embarrassed, but we all had a, a trend or a fad that was a big deal in our life. Okay, let's then look at <coughs> Bible meets life. Right on the wrong page here. Bible meets life on page 46. Someone read that. Weight loss is consistently the top New Year's resolution each year. What's not consistent is how we go about achieving The 1910s emphasized chewing your food 32 times, once for each tooth. 
The 1930s gave us the grapefruit or Hollywood diet. The 1970s started the trend of over-the-counter diet pills. The 1980s introduced exercise videos by celebrities from Jane Fonda to Richard Simmons. The 1990s gave us low-carb, high-protein diets. Who knows what's next? Trendy diets are always based on what experts say is relevant, but they change as much as our waistlines. <laughs> our lives should be based on something far more reliable than the latest trend. Psalm 119 points to the one source that is always consistent and therefore always relevant, God's Word. Okay, God's Word. Look at the point. God's word reflects his character and power and is always and always will. Okay, God's character is who he is and God says himself says, I am God and I change not. We live in a, in a world where people are fickle. You talk to one person today, and they're one way and you talk to them in the next minute. There's something else. Okay, but God's character remains the same. God's character and his power will never change. And we see that in our world today over and over. Okay, let's look at um, uh, the passages on page 62. Look at the verse, uh, Psalm 119, 89. Uh, read verse 89 to 91. Okay. 47. Verse 47, yeah. Lord, the word is forever. <coughs> it is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. They stand today in accordance with your judgments. For all things, uh, your okay, okay. God's word is established for how long? Forever. Is it? It is fixed in heaven, isn't it? Okay. Let's look at the question before we get to the paragraphs. Here. Look at question number two. When did you first encounter the Bible in a meaningful way? For me, when I met Mother Sarah. Mm -hmm. Because when I first get there, my friend would go from church to church and all around. Mm. And she sat me down in her place. I've never seen it from my own. Mm. The only thing she she breathed, live everything was the Bible. And I thank God, I catch a glimpse of that. And from I met her, my life was never the same. Mm. I love God. Amen. <clears throat> Anybody else? When did you first encounter the Bible in a meaningful way? You were reading the Bible along, all along, and you read it at this particular point, and it all, it just became like a light bulb turned on for you. When was the first time for you? Um, I was uh, raised in a Lutheran church with my parents, and um, we had confirmation as teenagers, and we had study time with the pastor, Okay. All right. Anybody else? Just coming. Sunday, Sunday morning Bible class. Sunday morning Bible class. Okay. 
All right, for me, it was when I read uh, about the events of the crucifixion of Jesus for the first time and studied it in, in depth. That's when it became alive for me. Meaningful. That it really actually happened. They did all this to Jesus. And he did it on my behalf. That's when it was for me. Okay, question number three. Why is it important to know that God's word will never change? Why is it important to know that God's word will never change? His word is his will. Okay, very good point. It is important uh, because it is by his word that we live by. Um, once we have experienced the truth of his word, we live by the truth of this. We live by the truth of this word. What does the Bible say about the word? About uh, God's word is real. is real and true. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of where? Out of the mouth of God. So it's important that God's word doesn't change, right? Because that's what we live by. We live in a world where everything is changing. People are changing. Some people you know, you thought you know them and they do something, you, boy, I thought I knew him. Oh, I thought I knew her. Because they changed. They did something that was totally different from what you anticipated that they would do. Okay, so we live in a changing world. We live in a world where people are fickle. So it's good to know, it's important for us to know that God's word is not gonna change on us. Imagine someone going to court and, and uh, they say, well, I'll testify uh, on your behalf and they go to court and they say something totally different. Well, that'll blow you away, wouldn't it? Okay, but we cannot, we, we, we don't have that with God. God's word will never change. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs then uh, on page 47. Someone read the paragraphs there. We need the words. two things will last beyond this world. The word of God <coughs> and the souls of people. To spend eternity in heaven with God, we must commit our eternal souls to God and to the truth of his eternal words. The psalmist affirmed the forever nature of God's word by proclaiming it to be firmly fixed. When pillars are still during a construction project, they are put there to stay. If the pillars are moved, the building will collapse. The word of God is the pillar that upholds our lives. It is perfectly grounded and stands firm. In addition, the psalmist noticed that God's word is firmly fixed in heaven. The Bible is transcendent. It's above and beyond us. It's outside the reach of human opposition on earth and spiritual opposition in the heavenliest places. Now let me read that little phrase right back there that you can catch with you. The Bible is transcendent. It's above and beyond us. It's outside the reach of human opposition on earth and spiritual opposition in the heavenly places. The Bible isn't the book of the week or even book of the year. It's the book of the ages. As the prophet Isaiah declared, 
The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8. The psalmist also affirmed God's faithfulness visible in his cut creation. He established the earth and it stands firm. God spoke our world into existence. And because it stands firm, we can trust that all God speaks will stand firm. But the heavens and the earth doesn't stand on their own. God sustains them. For all things that he lost servants, God is in control and creation serves him. This, then, is the confidence we have in Christ and his word. He is in charge and his word on our behalf is timeless and faithful. Okay, amen. Amen. Okay, and again, we look at the... Uh, Second paragraph there. Just go on it. <coughs> no, no, it stops right there. Notice our second paragraph on page 47. Uh, it says the psalmist affirmed that for the, the forever nature of God's word by proclaiming it to be firmly fixed, not shaky or unstable, like a lot of things in this world, but firmly fixed. And then it gives us an example of how firm he fix it is when it talks about the pillars that are set during, during a construction project. They are put there to stay. They don't move. And they put them there, they stay, right, Brother Esco? Yes. You, you, you put them there, they're going to stay. They're not going anywhere. If the pillars move, what happened to the building? That building coming down. You better believe it. Okay, and so God's word is the pillar that upholds our lives. And that's why it's so important for us to depend upon it, read it, rely upon it. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so that is why the word of God is so important. Uh, in addition, the psalmist noted that God's word is firmly fixed in the heaven. The Bible transcends, is transcendent. It's above and beyond us. It's outside of the reach of human opposition on earth and spiritual opposition in heaven. In other words, nobody can do anything about the word of God. Nobody on earth and none of them things that are flying around in the heavens. The invisible creatures we call demons, they can't touch the word of God. They can't do anything with it. Okay, in verses 89 and 91, the psalmist reminded us that God's word is eternal. As we move to verses 92 to 93, we'll find another reminder that the scriptures are a source of joy and life for every single member of the kingdom of God. So let's look at those verses. Verses 92 to 93. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For you have given me life through them. Okay. Continuing. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead and read the uh, paragraphs beneath that. Continuing, before, continuing forward, the psalmist zoomed in on the faithfulness of God's word to help us in all our troubles. Having established that God's word is unchanging and settled, 
In these verses, he proclaimed the Bible to be sufficient for whatever we face. Notice that being devoted to God's instruction didn't keep the psalmist from affliction. Even so, his delight in God's word sustained him through trouble. Not the progression and relationship between affliction and God's word. The is afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. Mm -hmm. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I would learn your statutes. Mm -hmm. I know, Lord, that your judgments are just and that you have afflicted me fairly. Mm -hmm. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. Mm -hmm. The word of God was an anchor of the soul that held the psalmist fast in the midst of raging storm. He experienced rescuing grace because he had a proper attitude towards God's word. Delighting in scripture activated its power in his life. The psalmist found joy in God's word, a joy that carried him through every situation. This delight led the psalmist to bow. I will never forget your precepts. Forgetting God's word is a matter of the will. Frequently, remembering God's word requires more than just thinking about it. Remembering includes doing and preserving. Okay, go over to page 50, continue reading. <coughs> As the Apostle James wrote, the one who looks intensely into the perfect law of freedom and preserves in perseveres in it. And it's not a forgetful here, but one who does good works. This person will be blessed in what he does. The psalmist's pledge of obedience reflected sincerity, not perfection. <coughs> He had determined in his heart to please God. When pleasing God is our heart's determined desire, it will be clearly and consistently evident in how we live. The psalmist readily made this vow because he knew the instructions and precepts in God's word are life-giving. You have given me life through them. The psalmist felt like he was at the point of death, but the word of God revived him. This is the power of God's word. It can put us back on our feet again. Okay, now let's look at a couple of points there. There's a whole lot in there for us to take, isn't it? That's a lot of stuff. <clears throat> you can say that that is pregnant with truth. So let's look at a couple of points uh, uh, that stand out. Number one, Continuing forward, the psalmist zoomed in on the faithfulness of God's word to help us when? In times of trouble. But a lot of times when people get in trouble, the word of God is the first, it's not the first thing they go to. Is it? No, they go look for somebody who, who, who they think can help them. Okay, but the psalmist zoomed in on God's faithfulness and how God helps him in his time of trouble. Then the second thing we notice is the word of God was an anchor of the soul that held the psalmist fast in the midst of a raging storm. 
He experienced rescuing grace because he had a proper attitude towards God's word. And that's the sad thing about Christians today. A lot of Christians have a bad attitude toward God's word. The psalmist didn't. He had a good attitude towards God's word. And as a result, he was able to benefit from that. You know, there are times when uh, people come to us in our times of difficulty and they want to they help you, but you think they want to harm you. And many times we put the, Lord, the word of God in that place. The word of God wants to help us, but we think it want to harm us. And so we stay away from it. We have a bad attitude toward it. Okay, the psalmist says we need to have a good attitude towards God's word at all times because it is only intended for our good and nothing else. And then the third thing we notice is this delight led the psalmist to vow. He says, I will, or to, to, to make a, a, he swear a point. He says, I will never forget your precepts. In other words, I will never forget the things you teach me in your word. Never. Whenever something benefits us, we remember it, doesn't we? We do. And we go back to it time and time again because it was a benefit. And that's how the psalmist saw God's word. It was a benefit. And he says, I'm going to keep. I'm going to never forget it. And then the final thing we notice is that the psalmist readily made his vow. He readily made this vow because he knew the instructions and the precepts in God's word were life-giving. He knew that they gave him life. Notice what he says. You have given me life through these precepts. That's how I have life. That's how I'm living. That's how I'm surviving. Through your precepts. Okay, so we get a lot there uh, to chew on, right? Question number four. How have you experienced life as a result of God's instructions? How have you? Now, we saw how the, how the psalmist experienced life. But the question is, how have we experienced it? In our experience with the Word of God, how have we experienced life? This Word brings freedom. You begin to see things different. Uh, he really gives you a joy inside. Okay, so you got freedom and joy. Anybody else? Your experience of life as a result of God's instructions. Being blessed to experience the truth of God's word. Being blessed to experience the truth of God's word. In a world where everybody's lying and telling you all kinds of false stuff. Okay, so that's good. Okay, activity on page 48. Taking delight. What does it say? Take a moment and... Uh, and do what? <clears throat> okay, use the space below to record a moment when God's word helped you experience delight. Jot down some notes, tell a story, draw a picture, or whatever. Whatever suits your fancy. Anybody did that? Yes, I did. I did. Someone did. Huh? Probably Saria. <laughs> <laughs> probably Saria. Sister Nancy? Yes, the word delight in there. <coughs> the word delight? Yes. <coughs> Give me your code. Yeah, I think we need to hurry up and get out of here. Anyway, I drew some six figures of two people. And they were holding hands. And what I put was being married. And it says, for death. 
<laughs> okay. I love my glasses. Okay. For better or for worse? For better or for worse, all right. Okay. That's good. Anybody else? For Juno, this bread I can't do. This bread was stick together. And I, but I keep saying, but this, this looked very short when they did that. But. Nobody did their homework. <laughs> Nobody did their homework? Oh, so Nancy did their homework. Anybody has their homework? Okay. All right, you got to remember to do the, the exercise now because it helps you. All right, it helps you. And you can share it if you want. If not, you don't have to. Okay, what can you do to take the light and the beauty and wisdom of the Bible more often? What can you do to take the light and beauty and the wisdom of God's and the wisdom of the Bible more often? We saw how the psalmist did it, right? So it may give you some thoughts and some ideas, and then you can think about it. And, uh, and you may be able to come up with something. Now look at what Moody says, right beneath that. It says, Moody says, it's easy for me to have faith in the Bible than to have faith in D.L. Moody. But Moody has fooled me lots of times. <laughs> All right? And many of us can say amen to that, right? Because we had that experience too. You trust in yourself and you see how you fool yourself. All right? Trust in the word of God instead. Okay. Uh, let's look at the last portion, uh, page, uh, verses 94 to 96 on page 50. Someone read those verses. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your degree, decrease. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your command is without limit. Okay, your command is without what? Limit. A couple of things we want to note here. Uh, page, uh, verse 90, in verse 94, the psalmist wrote a remarkable statement of fact. He said, I am yours. Do we often think about like that ourselves like that in relation to God? Yes. He says, I am yours. Yes. In other words, he recognized his position as a servant before God. His words were both a recognition of God's ownership of his life and a pledge of loyalty to God. He says, I'm, Lord, I'm yours, and I'll do whatever you want me to do, is what he's saying. On this basis, the psalmist cried out for God to save him. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I'm yours, save your things. I belong to you, save me. The Hebrew term used for save, while occasionally referring to deliverance from sin, guilt, and, and divine punishment, usually refers to physical rescue from enemies <clears throat> in this world. And then we look at 95, verse 95. It was 95, the psalmist, <clears throat> the reason the psalmist needed to be saved was that he was in danger from wicked people. Wicked people didn't mean him no good. Wicked people wanted to do him in. And they wanted to destroy him. They wanted to wipe him off the face of the mob like the people around Israel wanted to do with Israel. The wicked are, <clears throat> are those who are not only enemies of God, but they're also enemies of God's people. So anybody who don't like God, you better guarantee they don't like you either. Okay, those are the people you need to watch it for. Those are the kind of people that the psalmist is talking about here. The term um, translated hope in this context has the meaning of lying in wait or looking for someone or something. 
It also carries the notion of eager anticipation. The danger the psalmist faced was a very real danger, and his enemies were eagerly and actively planning and seeking to destroy him. The psalmist had previously referred to his faithfulness in keeping God's precepts in spite of all the persecution from his enemies, persecution for which he sought God's deliverance. However, this verse reveals that his persecutors were still a problem. Okay, that's what the verse tells us. His persecutors were still a problem for God, even though he was trusting God. And that tells us that we need to be consistent in trusting God because the enemy is not going to stop. As long as you're above ground and breathing, they're going to be on your case because they hate God that much. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs beneath that verse. Someone read those paragraphs. God will always take care of those who belong to him. Confident of this, the psalmist prayed, I am yours, save me. This specific prayer for salvation was not about forgiveness of sins. It was about deliverance from affliction. If you belong to God, not only will you be with him in heaven, but God will be with you in the midst of trouble here on earth. The psalmist gave a specific reason why the Lord should save him. For I have sought your precepts. Like us, the psalmist was not perfect, but he was able to say with honest conviction that he had attempted to build his life on the instruction of God's word. We need to remember that God's help isn't contingent on the perfect perfection of our lives. If that were so, we'd all be doomed. Thankfully, God is the God of grace. He gives us what we do not deserve. Even as he took upon himself the sin and death we do deserve, God saves those who seek him. Even so, walking with God doesn't mean we'll be immune from trouble. The psalmist certainly knew and experienced this. The wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. We will face opposition, but like the psalmist, we can still stand firm on God's promises and his word. In fact, when ungodly people come against us, we should hold closer to the scriptures. We must not allow what other people do to change our devotion to the word of God. As he contemplated the decrees of God, the psalmist saw how perfect God's word is. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your command is without limit. The Hebrew word translated as perfection speaks of the intended end or completion of a thing. Even the best things in this world are limited, finite, and tainted. Everything this world offers is inadequate, incomplete, or insufficient. Not so with the word of God. Your command is without limit. This is a poetic way of saying the word of God is perfect, complete, sufficient, limitless, and undefeatable. God's word is right and true because God himself is right and true. The Bible speaks perfectly to whatever needs we face because it reflects God's character and power. Therefore, we can always rely on the relevance and sufficiency of the scriptures, just as we can always rely on him. Okay, <clears throat> again, a couple of things we need to uh, point out there. 
the first one is God will always take care of those who belong to him. You believe that? Yes. <clears throat> he always will. <clears throat> Confident of this, the psalmist prayed, <clears throat> I am yours, save me. And that's all you need to say when you get in trouble, you know. That's all you need to say. You don't need to go into no prolonged prayer and begging and pleading. Just say, Lord, I'm yours, save me. Just like the psalmist. And the second thing is, <clears throat> we need to remember that God's help isn't contingent on the perfection of our lives. If it were so, we'd all be doomed. In other words, you cannot base God's help on how you've been living. Oh, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl, Lord. You could help me because I've been a good boy. That's the Santa Claus syndrome. Okay? That's not a God, that's not a God thing. What does Santa Claus say? You better be good, you better be whatever it is, whatever they say. <laughs> Alright? But that's not God. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus. Okay? So we need to remember that God's help is not contingent on whether we are good or bad, or how we live in our lives. If it were so, we'd all be doomed. And then the third thing we learn is, even so, walking with God doesn't mean we'll be immune from trouble. Okay, was Job immune from trouble? No. I was wondering when y'all was going to go. <laughs> okay, even so, walking with God doesn't mean we'll be immune from trouble. The psalmist certainly knew and experienced this. The wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. I will face opposition. Now, as we go through life, we need to remember that we're going to face opposition. Mm -hmm. If you don't face opposition, then the devil don't have no problem with you. <laughs> okay? If you face opposition, then you know you're giving the, 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 the devil some problems. Okay? We need to remember that. The devil ain't bothered with anybody, we ain't bothering with him. Okay? And those who are giving him kind of heartache and headache, those are the ones he's going to talk about. Oh, question number five. How can we ensure that engaging in God's word leads us to grow closer to Him? I saw a book that said this book. Bible will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from sin. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's what the psalmist is pointing out. Okay, back to the point as we wrap it up. God's word reflects His character and His power and always will. God's word does what? Reflects his character, who he is, and his power, what he's capable of doing. And that is not going to change anytime soon. Okay, let's look then at uh, page 52. How we can live these truths out in our lives as we go forward. God's word is relevant to our lives and always will be so. Consider the following suggestions for responding to that truth this week, as we go forth this week, here's some things we can do. Study daily. Use a devotional guide to help you engage God's word each day. Examples include open windows, journey for women, and stand firm for men. And then there's daily bread. How many of you read daily bread? Okay, that's a good one too. And then journal regularly. Start a journal in order to record what you learn as you study God's word. Keep track of what you need to obey. Be sure to look back at your journal often in order to monitor your progress, your progression, rather, with the scriptures. 
Okay, in other words, write down some things. Whatever God says to you when you, when you, when you do your study, when you read the Bible, write it down. And then you can go back and look at it and see how God is moving and working. And then share freely. Be intentional about telling others what God is teaching you through his word. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason why you have put your faith and hope in Christ. Or put your hope in Christ. Okay? Don't be dumb when it comes to explaining why you're a Christian. That's the point. Okay? Always be able to state clearly why you have hope in Jesus. And then, finally, there have been times in history when the Bible was a social expectation, even fashionable. But while societies change, God's word will always remain the same. In other words, God's word is not a trend, it's not a fad. It's something to feed on to give us life each day. Amen?